0: Welcome to the Evolution of Parenting. I'm Yorona. And I'm Robert. And we're both Advanced Certified Life Coaches. We met during our certification program and we realized that through our coaching sessions we connected as parents, but we have two very different perspectives. Robert is the parent to adult children and I'm the parent to five-year-olds. We both realized that the role of parenting never truly stops but it does change in fact it has to change if we've developed a strong and healthy relationship with boundaries and a strong sense of autonomy both robert and i really truly believe that we will remain with our children forever long after we're gone
1: so what makes this podcast unique well it's really the stories that come from our parenting experiences and our perspectives as well as our backgrounds in child development and education. So each episode will explore a different topic related to parenting. We hope to give you, the listener, some insight and takeaways and how you can relate this to your experiences as a parent. Today's episode is gonna be related to just the role of parenting and what that means to each other.
0: I am the mother of a five-year-old, as I said before. And, (laughs) you know, what I've come to realize is that even though I had a professional background in early childhood development, you never really know what parenting is going to be like until you step into that role. No, I think it's really funny. We have this professional take when people get into the field of of early childhood for whatever reason they desire to become a teacher or to learn about early childhood psychology human development, you know, even becoming a doctor or pediatrician. What I find so surprising, and maybe even not so surprising, is that once you really step into the thick of things, you no longer have objectivity. I think about it like when we talk about, you know, surgeons and how they tell a doctor, never treat somebody who you're close to, who your family, who you're related to, who is your a loved one because you cannot have objectivity. What's so interesting is that as a teacher, as a person in the early childhood development field in, in all of these areas, one thing that they don't tell you is you're going to lose your mind at various points, and your actual Amen. humanity, right? Amen. Yep. <laughs> well, just, it just, it's just, it's just going to happen. And that means you're going to make mistakes. And you're going to develop parenting styles that oftentimes come from the unhealthy roles that you may have learned from your adult from your your own childhood. What is so interesting, and we talk about this from a behavior perspective is that when you are when you're learning about parenting, most of the time you don't learn about it. Before you become a parent,
1: right?
0: You learn about it when you decide this, this is the role you want to take. But what's very interesting is that we we act as if everybody automatically is ingrained with the knowledge of Mm -hmm. how to parent when they suddenly become a parent but that's Mm -hmm. not true usually you're trying to play catch up so you have to be able to really empathize with the role in order to actually gain that perspective and even when you do you're still stepping into it from learned behaviors so when i think about how i grew up my father was a holocaust survivor And my mom was the daughter of, she was the only child of two people who were technically older as parents, and they were very mentally and emotionally abusive. Mm. So in my childhood, even though my parents didn't want to parent the way that they learned, there was this snapback into the learned behaviors that they had learned from their early childhood. So my mom would do things that were... And she would say things that were really hurtful. And I knew it wasn't what she wanted to do, but she didn't know what she wanted to do. (sighs) I guess I I don't feel like I'm explaining Mm. this the right way. But what I'm saying is we often tell each other like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. But we rarely say, do do this. Do do this. So my mom knew she didn't want to abuse us. She didn't want to to call me a horrible person or a bratty child or all these things that she would say, but she didn't know what she wanted to do. So when things were going really great in our childhood, we had a really lot of love, a lot of open affection, a lot of shared emotional moments, a lot of shared very connection moments. Like we we used to do all sorts of lovely things as children. Um, we were apple picking every fall, we would, you know, go to the beach in the winter, in the summertime, we would go snow, uh, sled riding in the, in the winter time and build lots of snow. We spent a lot of family time together Mm -hmm. and that was beautiful. And my mom, I could see she really wanted to engage with us in this idea that, um, building a family was about these shared moments and less than about, um, you know getting good grades and getting the right job and all of these things that her parents stressed Right. but in the difficult moments she wouldn't she would often respond the way her parents did and mm-hmm. it took us until adulthood until i was an early adult to come to a better place of a better having a better relationship with her and my father and that had to do with because it's that reactivity that happens you know what i'm saying
1: yeah, I do, I do. So so many interesting points in there and you know as coming off of gosh, what is it, 27 years as primary caregiver for my older kids, I can look back. I had now the privilege of looking back and seeing some of this stuff in 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 perspective looking back. To your point, I didn't have this perspective Necessarily in the moment, and that is that is difficult. You you talked about the instruction manual. I'm reminded of Bill Cosby's routine where he talks about Noah, and he brings the animals on the ark, and Noah gets really really angry with God because he's like, "You bring this elephant on board, do but pregnant elephant, you give me no manual for delivery." Just like this whole like, just Noah's had it right. There's no manual for this. If there was, that person would be literally revered through the ages as as the final. Yeah authority for parenting there's not so all you can do is kind of look back and that's what i do with my adult kids i can look back now and i can see and sometimes i can see the choices that i made and how it may or may not have affected them in the moment and to give you a real story, here's a real story in the moment you talked about um that reactivity right and and seeing the how our parents styles of parenting come back in and again I only understood my parents' style of parenting as a as an adult, not as a kid, right? So one time I was just I was just starting to stay home with the kids, and one of the children who shall not be named, so we don't have any issues with that, um, really frustrated me. Like just this is frustration moments. So at the end of the day, it was red, you know bedtime, and there was something about you know not picking up some stuff, and I took a. I had a small flower pot up on the shelf that was empty. And I needed to put these stupid crayons in there to get the kids in bed. And I was just, I was just, I was frustrated. I was angry. So I picked it and I smack it on the ground to put the, cr- and it, it stupid thing breaks and cuts my uh, palm oh, of my wow. hand. So now I've got to go to the ER to get stitches in my hand and explain to them, well, how did you cut your head? while well, I smashed a flower. <laughs> In anger, Mike, and and <laughs> they're just looking at me going like, you know what, to be honest, I think they look at me like, yeah, I've been there. Like yeah. I get, I understand, but there's those moments and we can, we can try to look ahead and we can try to think about this, which is part of why we're doing this podcast yeah. is to help people look ahead and anticipate. Um, but, you know, you get to the point where it's just, you can only look back and say like, wow, I did the best I could. I tried to make as many good choices as I could, but there are going to be moments where it didn't really work well.
0: Yeah. A- and I think that it's so important to realize that you're going to make mistakes and you need to own those mistakes. Because right. here's the thing, Right. if you anticipate going into parenting and becoming the best parent, you're doomed to fail. And one of the reasons you're doomed to fail is because you're human, because you yourself have good days and bad days and you need to be able to acknowledge that. So one thing I knew, I knew I didn't I knew I wanted to take the affection and the love and the sharing of emotions and the sharing of experiences that my parents gave me. But I didn't want to take into it the poor communication, the arguing, the fighting, the screaming, the yelling, you know, all of those things I definitely did not want to bring into my parenting experience. But that said, and I'm going to admit this, I have failed, because, Mm -hmm. again, I'm human. But what's more important is acknowledging those failed moments with my son, because I think that we have this failed understanding that perfectionism is something we can we can gain with knowledge Mm -hmm. yeah when the truth is that it's through our experiences that we learn the best through other people's experiences we learn second best but through knowledge and learning we learn actually the least Mm -hmm. when we when we go to school for something this is something that i that i used to do in, in my old job whenever I would interview somebody to bring them on as, as possible new person to hire new hire for my staff, I would ask them, what is different about your schooling that you learned in school that's mm-hmm. different from what you've now experienced in the field? And without fail, everybody would always be like, oh my gosh, it's vastly different, right? Something right. you're learning from a book is very different from putting it into practice. So what I started to say to people is, it's not even in the practicing." It's in the failing and then how do you course correct and in the making the failures open knowledge to your kids. So, okay, one day this was like um, actually almost two years ago. So Connor wasn't even four yet. And we we were on our way to school or we were we were going to be going to school that morning. But there was a snowstorm. So it delayed opening for the school. I had a doctor's appointment that morning, so I asked my mother-in-law, could she help? She was like, okay, yeah. I dropped him off there. I ran to my doctor's appointment. Well, then she calls me and she's like, oh, I totally forgot. I have a plumber coming and I can't, you know, take him. I had to turn back around. My whole day was starting to fall apart. <laughs> so I was already agitated and I, we get up to the school and what does a child do when they see snow?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Yeah, he's like, oh, so, so he starts trying to play in it as we're walking, and like, I'm like Connor, no, 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 we got to get you to school, we got to get you to school. My whole, and, and still like that whole pressure of the day is 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 all gone to pot. And so I'm I'm pulling him along, I'm trying to move him along, and he kind of stumbles a- onto his knees in the snow, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and I'm brushing him off, and I'm still like getting him up. And I'm like, okay, we gotta go, we gotta go, and I'm still rushing him. And i get him into school and all day that stuck with me all day throughout my day it stuck with me and when i got went to pick him up before i i you know i buckled him in and i turned to him and i said connor i need to say something to you i am so sorry for this morning when we were on our way into school and i reiterated what had happened you know and i said i feel bad that you fell into the snow and you know and i was rushing you along and And what I should have said to you in that moment, I should have said, Connor, we can play in the snow, but now is not the time. We'll play in the snow later. Now we need to get you into school. And maybe that would have helped move you along a little bit better instead of mommy rushing you and you, you know, going on your knees in the snow and stumbling. And he said there was a pause. And then he says to me, Mommy, I accept your apology.
1: Awesome. And it was so
0: cute. But was so important to me to acknowledge that I had done something wrong. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing, people. Your kids will take the moments that you've done wrong. And what's more important in those moments that you've done wrong is your awareness of that and your acknowledgement of the wrongdoing, because then they'll be more willing to take ownership and acknowledgement of the wrongdoings and the wrong moments and the mistakes they make too, you know, mistakes and wrongdoings, they can be different things, right? Lying, Mm -hmm. all of these things. And it's funny because a lot of parents that I've seen this happen so often think their kid is being devious when they're not telling the truth. Mm -hmm. But the truth is it's because they don't want to own the mistake because their fear of punishment. Yeah. And when we punish them for real mistakes that they didn't mean to do, they learn that lying gets them out of being punished for something that they should have never been punished for in the first place.
1: Absolutely. And it's, you're so right in saying all of that because, you know, we're going to make mistakes and owning them. And sometimes you don't really know. I can tell you, you know, the parent of adult kids one of the hardest things, even though I've looked back and identified some things that I would have wanted to do better, um, sometimes that comes at, uh, in a conversation with them, where as adults, they've realized the impact that my choices and my wife's choices had on them, and they're saying, like, yeah, you know, I just want to share with you, this is the impact of this in my life, and, you know, I'm no longer their director or protector. So it's like, yeah, I get what I'm saying. I can't change that. I apologize for that. I wish it could have been different, but it was what it was. So even as adults, that still happens, right? There are probably things that I've gone through in terms of, you know, counseling and therapy, whatever, that I should have maybe expressed to my parents, whether I did or didn't is not the question. These these realizations will happen all along. Right. Um, and you have to, even as an evolved in terms of years, parents, you have to understand that it's important to still do that because mm-hmm. it's real easy to get into like, well, what do you want me to do about that? You know, that, was, that was 16 years ago. I, right. You want to rewind time, you know, so we can still get in that defensive posture, That's but even as young adults, it's important for it to see that they see, that we own it, yeah. and that we understand it, whether we like it or whether we agree with it, or whether we have a power to do anything about it, is those are secondary considerations.
0: Yeah, they
1: a- just want to know it, that they've been heard.
0: Yes, and it's so, it's so funny because like, when I think about the mistakes my parents made, it took me a long time to own the fact that it was my, my issue to get past. I couldn't Mm -hmm. keep blaming them for those mistakes. Because here's the thing. And this is something I've heard so often. And I love this saying, you know, you know, when you hold a grudge against somebody, you're the one carrying the burden of that grudge on your shoulders, Mm -hmm. right? So when you're angry with your parents for doing something that they did in the past that they cannot change because they already did it, it was a give. it was something already done and you don't forgive them when you don't forgive them, you still carry the burden and it weighs your shoulders down. So what what happened with my mom at one point when we were adults, you know, when I was an adult, I, I one time had a very frank discussion with her about how she treated me. And I think she was truly she had blinders on to some of the things that she said and did to the point where she was like, no, there's no way I said or did that and i would say to her you know how often i wanted to have a recorder around so that i could just record <laughs> right. you saying these things right and my sisters and i would all we would all say that we would say god if only we could record this you know um of course this was in the you know 70s 80s and 90s so this was you know you didn't have your phone to just hit record right yeah exactly but i would say you know and so i finally got her to we had this really deep conversation and she said you know what if if that's really how i treated you i'm sorry Mm -hmm. and the way she said it was wholehearted Uh, when i realized she had a light bulb moment of realizing that yeah she can't deny it anymore because mm -hmm. i'm saying this was my lived experience with you and she finally took ownership of that and the moment she was able to do that i was able to truly forgive her
1: yeah that's and
0: true. i think it's important that as we go along we own those mistakes we made but people are very afraid to own their mistakes because they true. think it makes them weak or they think that means that you'll think less of them true. when the truth is how often have we seen someone apologize for the wrongdoing and we're like that's all we really needed from them. Yeah. And, and when they do that, the anger, the resentment suddenly starts to dissipate. Mm -hmm. So instead of getting your back up it, uh, get own 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 those things apologize yeah. when you make a mistake and then it takes it just deflates the anger balloon with your kid and then you can move forward well how can we make this better how can we improve upon this right how can you know and so to go back to this whole idea of the role of parenting what i came to realize was in not wanting to be my parents exactly i i, I needed to own the parts of me that were just who my parents were and how i became who i became and what kind of got baked in as a result and i needed to also start to gain a greater awareness of when i was behaving like them and realize that okay i have opportunity to do better but i'm still going to make mistakes with the opportunity to do better and this is this is a really hard hurdle to get past so one of the things that I I started to research I started to do a lot of research on this as I started to work on writing my book and as I started to get more in depth into the field of parent coaching is that we are gonna have information but until we are able to put that information into practice and keep practicing mm-hmm. in the practice we're going to make mistakes but don't give up and right. don't, don't force yourself to overwhelm yourself with trying to practice all of it at once just do one little thing at a time because if you can work on one little thing at a time you can gain small measures of success and small measures of progress that feel a lot more tangible and doable so the way I talk to people now is first start with you I did a I did a workshop once and this parent was like And I always ask what's one takeaway. And this one parent was like, I have to work on myself. And it was, it was a really funny moment because it was funny, but it was so honest and true. Like we were all laughing about it because of the way she said it, but she also meant it. She was like, I realized like, okay, I've got to work on my own responses to things in these difficult moments. Before I step into those moments, and that's when I actually created this um, theory of called the the stopgap, the emotional stopgap mechanism. When our emotions are triggered, we have such we're we're totally incapacitated in our ability to step forward with critical thinking. Yeah. and so if we can take a moment to de-trigger our emotions and like kind of reduce the pressure of the emotional response by turning this like imaginary valve in our brain that says okay i feel really embarrassed because my kid is laying on the floor in the middle of the supermarket (laughs) screaming their bloody head off and people are looking around now and concerned and -hmm. there's about to be somebody who steps forward and is like is everything okay here and i'm gonna freak out if that happens you know and that's gonna trigger me so what do i do i'm embarrassed i can feel my face flushing what do i do and if we have a moment to just kind of quiet that trigger, that emotional trigger, we can then step into it more purposefully with our kid.
1: Yeah. that make, Yes. And I think that those moments are, um, they're, they're smaller than we think they are. Sometimes we feel like it's it's the uh, come to Jesus, uh, quote, you know, type moment. Maybe it's not, you know, maybe uh, it's it's a moment where you recognize just, Maybe just your your mindset toward parenting, like we're talking about now. I remember we I was at McDonald's when the kids were young. We just moved to Germany, and we're sit, the kids sitting in the back seat. They're all strapped in. We're getting ready to go, and I don't know why, but I remember turning around to them and tell, they're probably eight and six somewhere in alignment, and telling them, you know, my job as a parent is not to be your friend. My job as a parent is to make you independent and and. So that when you're 18 or whenever you leave the house, you can thrive in this world. So that was a mindset gesture. But I think there's also that goes with that. There's this, sometimes there's this sense, especially of parent of older kids, especially around high school graduation, that you've got them across the finish line, right? And, and, it's, and it's never, there's no finish line. There's never a finish line. There's never stopped parenting. As we've said before, the role of parenting only changes. So you have to learn to do it differently as an adult. And that's perhaps sometimes more uncomfortable because you don't have the level of control and influence that you have when they're younger, but there's no finish line, there's no stopping point. It only changes and evolves. And those two little mindset things, A, I'm not your friend, I'm not here to be your friend, and B, there is no finish line to this whole thing. It's a it's an ongoing process until one of us is not part of this world anymore. I think even those those two small things can help to trigger some more thinking about where you are.
0: You know, as you said that, I was picturing something. I, I said before that the behaviors of our parents in our early childhood tend to inform the behaviors of how we play out with our kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and unless we're really conscious about it. About making a change, we really can't adopt a change and we will tend to snap back to that behavior of the way we were raised. But what's interesting and what you said about, you know, it never really does stop. Even after we're gone, those behaviors remain with us. But Mm -hmm. that's the testament to sort of the the legacy we've left behind. Right, right. So if we can change our behaviors in par- our roles as parents along the way, even as our kids grow, they'll hold on to that right. in their memory. They'll hold on to that in the behaviors that they play out. They'll hold on to that in the relationships they have moving forward. Mm-hmm. So something very vivid happened today. And I started to really think about this. Um, Connor and I were late to get him off to school this morning. <laughs> Uh-oh. and we had a crazy day yesterday it was a wonderful and fun day but we were both exhausted when we woke up this morning and I'm like okay I know I don't usually get him to school late but mm-hmm. this is going to be a morning where I'm going to end up checking him in late and I own that totally <laughs> it was my fault for not moving us faster so we get there and the doors for the preschool area closed and we had to go to the front And when we go into the front, there's this little vestibule and the parents can only go into the vestibule with the kid and then the kid goes past the vestibule and you're signing them in. Mm -hmm. And what's very interesting is most of the time the kids I see that and I've only seen this a few times, but there will always be a teacher who will drop each kid in their classroom. But I could see as I signed them in, I could see some of the teacher, one of the teachers was talking to him and then she said something and then he started to walk on his own down the hallway. I'm like, oh, gee, there's no teacher walking him. Mm -hmm. And he looks back and I see his little face and I wave at him and he goes and he gets a big smile on his face and then he turns back around and keeps walking. Mm -hmm. And I realized that because I've been working so hard on teaching him independence and everything, Mm -hmm. I think his teachers have picked up that Connor is capable enough at this point to walk himself to the classroom door. Good point. And there weren't enough of them. And there were enough, there were a lot of kids, you know, sure. and teaching is a hard job, guys. So don't get me wrong, please. I don't want you putting a judgment on the teachers here. Mm-hmm. There weren't enough teachers to walk all the kids to their classrooms. Right. And I could see that they were hustling and trying to make everything work. They know my kid at this point enough to know that he's capable and confident and competent. And he's not going to just run off and wander off. And his classroom, I knew, was right down there. Like, it was it was there. So they trusted him in him. And I was proud of that fact. Mm-hmm. I was proud of the fact that I had taught him he just needed one last look back. And he was off on his own. And that gave me a really good feeling of security. And I wasn't angry with the teachers. I wasn't. There was none of that. I was proud that he could do it on his own.
1: Notice, getting them on their own is like, it's the goal. Yeah. You know, it's, and we'll talk about this in, in other episodes, but that ability to, to become an independently functioning human being is the purpose of parenting. You know, that's why we try to get them there. And I think that, you know, and, and it gets there's going to come a point or there was several points. I'll just say <laughs> it's not, It's not predictive. It happened where you, you are desperate for your kid to say to you, I've got this. Like you really, like when they learn to drive, um, when they, when they start dating their first crush or whatever, there's, they're there going to be more moments where that insecurity can play out. And, you know, the bigger the moment, the more pride you do feel. You. You're like, Oh, yes. Now, sometimes you're like, oh, thank God they've got it, you know. Right. But oftentimes it is like, yeah, good job. Good on you. You got it. I, You know, and whether you reflect that back on your own parenting or not, it's still a moment to celebrate in their life.
0: Definitely. And and I'll tell you one last thing, because as I think about this, um, when I was doing a lot of my research, I came across some very interesting things regarding the way the parenting style has shifted over these years you know when i when i was younger when you were younger we know there was a much more authoritarian style parenting although my parents were trying to escape that but i was born in 75 so there was still that attitude and my parents were older parents as well so my mom was a child of two people who who lived in the depression so in authoritarian style parenting it's like do what you what you're told because i told you to Period. You don't question me. I'm your I'm the authority figure here, etc. And there is a component to that which I think is important in life. We're going to bump up against authority. We're going. That is normal. That is natural. We live in a hierarchical society. We live in a tribalistic and hierarchical society. We also live in a society where there are societal boundaries, mm-hmm. right? We have we have speed limits for a reason. We have laws for a reason. We follow these laws because otherwise we would live in a society where it was just complete chaos yes, and survival yeah. of the fittest and dominant and be dominated. Now, here's the thing, though. We don't live that way because that is not how humans are actually um, bred. Our brains are wired to create empathetic concern and care and care for one another, mm-hmm. because we live in a society where we need human connection and human interaction, not just to rely on each other for our survival, but also to thrive right. and to live in a very flourishing place in a very flourishing way where we are in support of one another. So authoritarian parenting and that, you know, survival of the is is not the authoritarian aspect that is where we have authoritarian rule, is not healthy either because there's no empathy there but when we live in a more balanced society we live with balance and authority areas and hierarchical societies and living off of the survival of one another in our survival mechanism however what happened and we noticed that this happened with the change of um with the change of inf- the information age when the information age started to boom we stopped living in our very insulated societies where we lived in our neighborhoods and we got our local news and sometimes we'd get national news headlines and things of that nature and even in world war ii we'd start getting world news and things of that nature but it would be a very broad perspective world news we wouldn't understand what was going on on the ground but as the information age started to boom we started to hear a lot of more a lot more anecdotal stories and including in our nation, in the U.S., we started to hear a lot more about ki- kidnappings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember as a child growing up where um, there was a thing that would come on at 10 p.m. on the TV um, where the news anchor would say, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? And when that happened, it also instigated a fear based parenting parenting. But so at the same time as, as those people who were starting to become parents in the 80s And the 90s were knew the information that was coming at them they also were trying to balk against the authoritarian style parenting Mm -hmm. and were afraid of what was happening to their children they started to change into what we called what we now call permissive parenting Mm -hmm. or helicopter parenting we actually have a new term for it called bulldozer parenting where you're literally trying to bulldoze all the obstacles out of your kid's way Mm -hmm. And what we've now understand is that that is actually extremely detrimental to your kids. Extremely. Actually, in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. permissive parenting style is even worse than authoritarian parenting. Because at least with authoritarian parenting, you understand that there are certain boundaries, life boundaries, societal Mm -hmm. boundaries, interpersonal Uh boundaries, and things like that. But with permissive parenting, what you get is a kid who doesn't understand the meaning of the word no.
1: Yes, Because their
0: parent won't tell them no they'll give them everything they desire to balk against the authoritarian parenting but they'll also try to shield them from life's pains and hurdles and and boundaries and as a result you get a kid who goes out and doesn't know how to do for themselves and they hear the word no and they're like what is this this is not okay with me
1: and yeah. Those kids grow up to be parents. <laughs>
0: so uh, yeah, let me tell you
1: yeah. how that played out for our youngest son. And I'll, I'll wrap up with yeah. my piece with this. Yeah. So we, we were sending them off to, to school and we're at the, uh, the orientation weekend and there's parents there. And the, one of the counselors got up and, and had a session with just the parents. The kids had gone off to sign up for classes. And he basically described two kinds of parents, which I think are pretty accurate. There are bubble wrap parents mm. and there are beach parents. There are some parents that, that that even in college, you feel like you have to bubble wrap so that your kid doesn't experience anything painful, no growing pains, nothing. Um, I'm not talking about getting hurt, physically hurt. I'm just talking about signing up for classes and not getting in the class you want or wanting to live with this roommate and it doesn't work out or, or wanting to be. a And the parents are just like bubble wrap parents. Then you have the others that are like beach parents, like, see ya. You know, and they got the, you know, they've got their cocktail in hand, sitting on the beach, and their hands completely hands off. And his point was, both of those are not healthy. Both extremes are unhealthy. You need to find some some happy medium where you show your kid that you are available, but that what you give them is you point them to where they can find the answer. You don't give them the answer, right? You point them to where they can get it. So it's interesting. It's a similar thing to that permissive, authoritarian kind of mindset where you have even, you know, going off to college. And you can see it in the parent groups on on social media. It's very interesting to watch how people react. uh, And and that's okay because that's that's who they are as parents. And this is what we're talking about in this whole series. We're talking about just know who you are Mm -hmm. and know that there might be a slightly different way of doing it. That might make your legacy that you mentioned earlier after you're gone, the legacy you leave in your children a little bit more aligned with what you would want it to be.
0: Yeah, that is that is really, really important. And I am so glad that you said that, because I think now people will get a better understanding for where we're coming from. I hope so. And we're not saying we have all the answers. But what we are saying is we've come to the understanding that this is truly an evolution. Yes. And that we all know that as evolution continues on and things evolve, there's always going to be change. Mm -hmm. And we're always going to be a little behind the ball on the change. But if we're willing to dig into it and allow ourselves to own our parenting skills, we really believe that moving forward from here, your parenting skills will will guide you with your instincts mm-hmm. and the learning that you pick up along the way. Mm-hmm. And we hope to be a big provider of that learning experience.
1: And on and- that note, we wrap up episode one. We hope you join us for the next, one, next ones uh, coming up. We, we're not sure exactly the timing on every one. We hope to do about one a week just to let you know But on that note, we bring episode one to a close and your honor. We
0: just want to say that we wish you happy parenting and may the evolution of your parenting skills be ever in your favor. Absolutely.